Can someone say his house? That was a remarkable response, just on point, well-timed. It was instantly there, all in unison, brilliant. His house. We're going to talk about building his house. You know, a, a popular show on network television at the moment. Anyone still watching network TV? I'm just like, as soon as Netflix came in, I was like, what? There's an antenna on my roof? What does that do? But, but anyway, one of the highest rated shows on TV at the moment is, uh, is a reality renovation show, which has kind of been, you know, a staple for the last decade of television. And it's called House Rules. Any, anyone watching House Rules? More, a few more in this. Are you, are you enjoying House Rules? Is it getting the drama? It's really drawing you in. And the hook with this show, if you haven't seen it, is basically there's six teams and they all put their house on the line. So they've all got a house. And then every other team renovates uh, each of the houses. But say if I'm one of the, the owners of a house, I'll renovate all the other teams. But then when it comes to my house, I've got to hand over the keys to everyone else. And I kind of take the week off, take a step backwards. And everyone else can decide what my house is going to look like, what the design's going to be, what the colors are going to be. Now, does that idea make anyone nervous? So, Jess, you're running a design business. Could you imagine, you know, giving the keys of your house to, let's say, me and Jeff Gomans and say, just go to town, make that thing pretty. And, and, the fun, and, and, and me and Jeff, we're kind of both, you know, pretty fun guys, but probably wouldn't want us designing your home for future reference. Uh, actually, am I speaking out of turn, Jeff? I, I, yeah, I'm right, okay. And I included myself in that, so it wasn't like a... And, uh, and so the thing is, you, you could love what they do with your house, or you could really hate what you do with it. You know one of the things I love on reality TV? When someone clearly hates something, but they're too nice to let it know, it's like, yeah, it's really great. <laughs> And he's going, yeah, she loves it. She doesn't. But anyway, so, so this is kind of the deal. So you hand over the keys and you entrust it to other people to, to take care of the house, to, to renovate it, to build it, to do whatever they want to do. Now, when we think of God's story and God's house as his place of dwelling amongst his people, one of the key themes that we see is that he actually hands the keys of that house over to his people. So God entrusts the care of his house to his people. And we see that story throughout Scripture from the Old Testament in to the New Testament. And when, when we think of God's house and when we ask the question, what does it mean to build that house? What I want to start by doing this morning is just kind of lay a foundation, give us a picture of God's house throughout Scripture. Can we do that together? Is that all right? Can you give me a thumbs up if that's okay? If you're not okay with that, you know, you can give me a thumbs down, but look, we're going down, a, going down that path anyway. So, so we're going to talk about God's house, sometimes called the temple throughout Scripture. And it begins in the book of Exodus, where Moses is instructed by God to set up the tabernacle, which was a tent of meeting, God's dwelling place among his people, which was a tent that could be set up, packed down as they were wandering for 40 years in the desert before they walked into the promised land. So in that way, they could carry God's presence with them wherever they went, and God's house would be among his people. And for a period of time, that was the first expression of God's house amongst his people. A little bit later on in God's story, we get to King David and King Solomon and the, I guess the, the golden age of Israel in that sense. And the first temple is built. And it was built with a, just an immaculate design with incredible resources going into it. And, and that temple stood for a long period of time until God's people, Israel, kind of broke down as a nation. They were eventually conquered. They were, a portion of Judah was taken taken into captivity in Babylon, and that first temple was destroyed. And then a period of time after, Israel and Judah was allowed to go back to their homeland and rebuild. And on the side of the first temple, they begin building the second temple. And this is the story of God's house throughout the Old Testament. So a quick overview. We've got the, the tabernacle. 
And that's basically an elaborate word for fancy tent. And I think the, the Hebrew does translate something like that. It, it doesn't. But there is tent there. So we've got the tent. Then we've got the first temple. Then we've got the second temple. We got that? Everyone got that? That's the story of God's house throughout the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, something incredible happens. And the whole paradigm of God's house shifts dramatically from an external venue to the person of Jesus Christ. That God's presence is now ultimately expressed not in a temple, not in a house, not in a place, but in the Son, in Jesus, that God's presence is still among his people, but now in the form of the Son, Jesus. But then it gets cooler again. It gets even better. That after the new temple in Jesus, there's a new, new temple, and it's actually us. It's us. That through the ministry of the cross and the ministry of Jesus, he transforms my life to be a holy dwelling place for the presence of God within me. So God moves from being among his people to residing within his people. Everyone got that transition throughout Scripture? So God's the story of God's house. It's all about dwelling among his people until finally, through Jesus, the new temple establishes a new new temple in each one of us. And in that sense, God's house is now alive in your life. So when we talk about building his house, we're not talking about a church facility. We're not talking about a location. We're not talking about anything like that. What we're actually talking about is building each of our lives to contain the almighty presence of God. Building a house for God in my life. Building a house for God in your life. You know, to think about how we do that, we're going to spend some time in a, in a great passage of Scripture, possibly one that you haven't spent too much time in, in Haggai, one of the minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. Just two chapters, you might have skimmed over it. But it's, a, it's an awesome prophetic word to, to Judah. And, and to get the snapshot of history, it's in that time where Judah comes back to their home, they're released to return their, to their home, and actually rebuild who they are as a nation. And as part of that, one of the first things they get to doing is, is rebuilding that second temple on the ruins of the first temple. But then what happens is, as a nation returning to their home, they're, they're realizing that it's not as easy as they thought it would be. That rebuilding who they are, reestablishing their culture, setting up who they were, was taking a huge amount of work. So they got the foundations finished. They finished the foundations of the temple. They're like, this is too hard. It's not the time to keep building this. We've got to set up who we are as a people. We've got to rebuild our homes. We've got to reestablish who we are as an agrarian society. We've got to sort out our fields. They, they moved there in a time of drought. There were so many things that required their attention. So they said, you know what? We're going to stop building God's house. And then Haggai's voice is a prophet, is to challenge that and say, you know what? We need to build God's house. It has to be the most important thing that we bring God's presence into who we are as a people. And that's really what it was all about. Rebuilding that temple was an outward expression of a desire to say, God, come and be a part of who we are. So Haggai's going to speak into that. And so we're going we're gonna to jump ahead. Sorry to the guys at the back. We're going to jump ahead to Haggai. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And here's how it reads. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. Now, side note, if you haven't heard me talk about this before, Zerubbabel, easily my favorite name in all of Scripture. 
It's so good. Zerubbabel. And, and I often ask how many Bs in Zerubbabel, but it's kind of cheating because it's up there on the thing. And, uh, and he was the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Now, this is the important part. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the prophet Haggai speaking this to Zerubbabel, the leader of Judah at that time. These people, and so one of the things I've got to lay out there before we get into Haggai here, he's, he's kind of sassy. He's kind of got a bit of attitude about him and the way he talks and speaks God's word. He's got a bit of a flair about it. And you're going to pick that up as we go along. And here's what he says. These people say, speaking of Zerubbabel, speaking of the people, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So here's the attitude amongst the people. Now isn't the time that they've got this important priority before them as God's people to include his presence in who they are as a nation. And they look at that responsibility. They look at that task. And they say, you know what? Now's not the time to do it. Now's not the time to do it. And, and I kind of love this moment in Scripture here that, that in the 5th century BC in ancient Jerusalem, people are exactly like me. That when faced with an important priority, an important responsibility, something that requires effort, the natural response is to say, I'll, I'll do that later. You know, anyone else like that? Don't make me the only one up here. <laughs> so we've got an important priority, important responsibility, but it also requires effort. It requires work. It requires an investment to so say, you know what? I'm going to put that off. Now's not quite the time for that. You know, a classic example, who, who here puts their bills at home on your fridge still? You've got a magnet system. Anyone doing that? Or are we all on our iPads now? Uh, am I the only one still doing that? Wow. I, I kind of use, oh, we've got some hands. Thank you. Honesty at the front. And, and you stick it on your fridge. You know, you've got a variety of creative magnets as we all do. Mine, mine are stuck there with little feet. Got the little rubber toes, bang. And, uh, and you walk past that fridge as a reminder of that little task. And I walk past that bill and I'm like, ooh, I don't really, I'm not really excited by the thought of paying that bill. You know, it's not a, it's, it's, well, it's going to take me like three minutes. But I look at that, it's like, that's not a fun task. I'm going to keep walking past. And the next day I do the same thing as I keep walking past the fridge, going to get my milk. It's like, oh yeah, there's a bill there. That's a task that I can do later. And then eventually my $80 bill becomes a $95 bill because I keep putting it off and then I'm charged with a late fee. And you, you're right, that was a specific example. That happened to me last week. And, <laughs> and we find ourselves in this place where we put off important responsibilities and when we do that, we pay a price don't we? It could be anything. It could be, you know, through winter, your, your gutters need to be cleared out. You think, oh, that's not so bad. I can leave that. Then your eaves overflow and your ceiling stuffed. That when we put off, now that one's not a specific example. <laughs> I haven't done that. That was actually triggered by seeing John, our youth pastor slash maintenance guy, out in our gutters sorting all of that out this week, which was awesome. He would love that mention, by the way. But he's, oh, you can watch it on the, the video later. But, but, but anyway, when we put off things that matter, we pay a price. And Haggai's going to get to that. And when he says, we are God's people, we are the ones called to bring his presence to the world, to carry his presence with us wherever we're going, and we're not doing it, we're going to pay a price if we continue to ignore it. So Haggai says, now is the time. Now is the time to build God's presence into who we are. And if we're in a place where we're saying, you know, I recognize that my life is actually God's house. And I actually have the opportunity to build God's house within my own soul. The starting point is to say, now is the time to take that privilege seriously. That I actually contain the almighty presence of God. 
So how am I investing my life to build that house within me? And it starts with the intentional choice to simply build God's house. So you know what? I'm going to be the kind of person that builds God into my life. I'm going to be the kind of person that brick after brick builds my life in a way to not only invite the presence of God, but contain the presence of God within my heart, within my soul. Haggai continues his conversation with Zerubbabel. Would anyone else like to say Zerubbabel? Can we say that together? It's fun to say, right? You, just, you guys are going to be going home and saying that to each other. Teach your kids. It's going to be awesome. But in verse 3, Haggai goes a little bit further. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And he says this. And here's some of that attitude coming through I was talking about. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses? And he's basically talking about your, your fancy houses. While this house, God's house, remains in a ruin. Now, at this point, he's likely speaking directly to Zerubbabel because at this time of rebuilding, it was, it was pretty unlikely that, that the average person had this kind of a house. So it, was, it was really painting a picture of a royal dwelling lined with cedar and expensive wood as the, as the, the royal houses used to have at that time. So he's probably aiming this at, at Zerubbabel as a leader and saying, your house is looking pretty good. Your life is looking pretty good while God's house remains in a ruin. And what Haggai's doing, he's speaking into what is the primary challenge of building God's house within our lives. It's recognizing the challenge that that in order for God's house to be built in who we are, we need to be self-aware. We need to think about our lives and recognize that there are other things, other priorities, other values that come before building God's house internally. And this is what Judah is facing. This is what Zerubbabel's facing. He's saying, the word of God into my life is that I've invested myself in spaces other than building God's presence. And I need to change that. And here's the thought that, that, that kind of occurred to me when I was reflecting on this. And I think about my own life, which is so often the case, is that I focus so much more on how I am living than how God is living in me. Is that a reality for anyone else? That so much of our lives is geared and focused around how I'm actually living, what my life looks like, what my career looks like, whatever it might be, what my relationships look like. I'm thinking all the time about how my life looks and I'm forgetting that He is alive in me. And what we're invited to move towards is recognizing that He is alive in me And I will live my life out of that. And that's what he's calling Israel back to. That's what he's calling Zerubbabel back to. He's like, you know, you've got these things. Your focus is over here, but it needs to be here. It needs to be here. And the conversation goes a little bit further again. And I, and I mentioned just briefly earlier that as, as, as the people are rebuilding, can you imagine what it would be like? You've been in captivity, the, the nation's coming back together, you're reestablishing culture, you're reestablishing your, your national identity. There's all kinds of challenges. There was, there was drought at the time, they were struggling. And Haggai speaks into that scenario and he says this in verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. And I love this little phrase that Haggai uses again and again. Give careful thought to your ways. Saying, think about your life. Think about how you're living your life. And then he goes on to speak into their situation at that time and in that place. 
He says, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, and this is a powerful image, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, okay, this is your current reality without my presence among you. This is what needs to happen. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about your life. Then he says, go up into the mountains, bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honoured in it, says the Lord. And I love the logic of Haggai here. He's painting a picture of where they're at as a nation. He's saying, we're not in a great place. And you know why? It's because we've forgotten about who God is. We haven't built him into who we are. And we need to change that. So we're going to get it done. We're going to go to the mountains. We're going to get the timber. We're going to bring it back. And we are going to build his house. And I love this. And basically what he's saying is, it's time to get to work. We've got to get to work. If we're going to build God's house, it actually means being invested in that task. And saying, we're just going to get this done. Now, what does that mean for us? Remember, we're not building a building anymore. Like, as a church, we are building a building. But what we're talking about in building God's house, we're building something internal, a dwelling place for the Spirit of God among each one of us. So how do we do that? What are the bricks to build God's presence into our lives? What are the bricks to build His house strong and tall in our own soul? You know, I want to give you a few practical things that, that have just been, you know, one, really helpful for my own life. And I think of things that we can take away and take hold of and say, you know what, if I want to build and cultivate God's presence in my life, here's, here's something I can do. And, and I hope one of these would be, will be helpful for you in your journey this morning. And, and the first is this, is invitation. Is invitation. You remember that picture? God gives the keys to his house, to his people. We now are his house, but we hold the keys, not God. So if we want God to come and live in that house, we need to invite him in. Now, maybe you're in a place here, here this morning and, and you're still working out what it means to, to believe in God, what it means to have a faith in Jesus. Now, this is the starting point to say, God, I recognize that my life is really all about you. And God, I want you to come and live in my life. And if that's you this morning, I'd encourage you to think about that decision. Maybe you're ready to make that decision. We'll have a prayer team after the service. They'd love to pray that through with you. To invite the presence of God into your life. Or maybe you're here today and and it's a different invitation. It's saying, God, I want you back in my life. I need to invite you anew into the house that maybe I've built, into the foundation that's been laid. But I want to build that house up. I want your presence to live within me. Maybe that's your prayer this morning, to invite God to live in his house. You know, one of the the things I love about the USA, there's a lot of things I love about the USA. And uh, one of the things I love is is that they're they're fantastic at doing national church surveys at at different periods of time. And and one came out recently, and one of the questions that that I thought was so interesting and so interesting as a person of faith is, is this question, what is the most significant exercise you do to build faith in your life? Think about that for a moment. What is the most significant thing you do in your life to build a sense of faith in God? 
Maybe it's coming to church. Maybe it's having conversations. Maybe it's times in prayer or worship. And, and, and as I thought about that question, I, I was in some ways surprised and in other ways not. But, but over 90% of people responded in this way. So the number one faith-building exercise in my life is reading his word, is picking up my Bible learning his story and recognizing that my story actually connects with God's story, that God's story actually informs and changes my story and redeems my story and brings life to my story. So that's the number one faith-building thing. You know, every now and again as a, as a pastor, I'll, I'll have conversations with people and, and, and they'll say something along the lines of, I feel I just don't feel the presence of God. Whether it was, I don't feel the presence of God like I used to, or, or I don't understand what it means to feel God's presence. And, and you might even be here this morning, and that's the, the cry of your heart, is that, that I believe in God, I have trust in God, but I just don't know if I feel His presence. And the first question that, that I ask people as kindly as I can, and as people kindly ask me when I'm in that place, is say, how often are you reading His Word? How often... Are you recalling the promises of Scripture? When was the last time you lived the journey of Jesus through the Gospels? When was the last time you recognized that when you read the account of the crucifixion and the resurrection, that Jesus did it for you? That your story is profoundly connected to that story? And when we do that... Faith builds within us. And when we do that, the house of God is built within us. Promise after promise, truth after truth, verse after verse. How often are you engaging with Scripture? You know, the final thing that's been so powerful in my life when I think about what it means to build His house in me, what it means to, to lay those bricks, brick after brick, is, is being in community. It really is. And I think about that as big, small, and one-on-one. And the, the starting point of that is that big church community, that there's something powerful that happens. So when we think about ourselves each as God's house, as God's holy dwelling place, something powerful happens when a bunch of people containing the presence of God get in the same room together. Something powerful happens when a bunch of people containing the presence of God begin to praise His name all together. We've been doing it this morning. When we understand what's actually happening, that really on a Sunday, it's so important we remember this, we didn't all show up to God's presence here. We didn't all show up to God's house. We brought God's house with us together. That God's presence arrived with each one of us in our hearts and in our souls. There's nothing sacred about this room that we're sitting in, but there is something sacred about your heart, about your soul being made holy by Christ to contain the living presence of God. And when we come together to praise his name as one, whoo, it's awesome. You know, nothing encourages me quite like coming together as, as the church in this big expression of community. But there's more than that as well. You know, if we're going to really learn what it means to be built as the house of God, there's just something about that space where we can get together and talk. To actually say, you know what, Phil... What, what's preventing you from building more of God into your life? And in conversation with a smaller group of people, I can say, you know what, I haven't thought about that for a while. But as I think about it, I reckon it might be this and this. What can I do to grow in that? 
And in small group, you can have this level of dialogue, even around scripture like this, to say in a more personal way, what does this mean for your life? You know, maybe for you, if that's a space you hear me talking about and something comes alive in your heart, say, man, I need that. We've got a whole bunch of connect groups in our church. We'd love to, to get you connected in a group. And if you want to do that today, you can even take one of the cards on the seat there and say, hey, I want to get involved in a connect group. And we'd love to make that happen. Or maybe you think, hey, I want to lead one of those. I want to lead a connect group. Or what do I do to make that happen? You put that down as well. Because this is a space where, where I know in my own life, I've just been shaped so significantly by journeying more closely with other people passionate about Jesus. Anyone else had that experience? It's a powerful thing, right? And then the final thing really quickly is this one-on-one space, is to, to journey closely with, with someone in particular that knows you, that, can, uh, that has the freedom to ask those questions that go beyond the service even more and go deeper to the real heart of the matter. And say, so, you know what, Phil, we both know what needs to change here. Are you going to do it or not? And have that kind of conversation. I tell you what, if you want to see that house built in strength, that dwelling place of God, you need someone in your life that has the freedom to speak, to challenge, to encourage, and to bless. You know, if that's you, you can even take a moment now. Who's someone in my life that I could actually invite into that space? And this is something we need to be doing regularly in different seasons of life. I think about my own life in different times and different seasons. There's been different people that I'd say, you know what, that person was the name I'd given. In other seasons, it's different. And maybe you've had that in other seasons, but right now you think, yeah, geez, I don't have that anymore. I need that. And you think, hey, who in my life could I invite to speak more deeply into who I am? Who could I speak more deeply to build God's house? We're going to head back to the passage. And I love, I love how this, this finishes and this passage of Scripture through the, the couple of chapters in Haggai. It's one of those ones with a positive outcome. The, the voice of God kind of speaks through a prophet. The prophet delivers that to the people and the people respond with enthusiasm. They're like, yeah, we're going to get this thing built. We're going to build God's house amongst us. Enough faffing around. It's my dad's language. I can't believe that slipped out. He would have loved, loved it if he was here. <laughs> Enough mucking around. We're going to build God's house. And the people through Zerubbabel, through the, the word of God, through Haggai, they begin building the house of God. They begin taking God's presence and making it alive among them. And then there's this incredible passage of scripture that, that I love at the end of Haggai in, in chapter 2, verse 23. And it says this, to a people who said, we will build the presence of God into who we are. And Haggai says this, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. And here we go. And I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now I want to show you a signet ring and remind you what that is. Because I guess in our culture, in our society, the way we do business, we, the kind of the use of signet rings have kind of faded out somewhat. Anyone using signet rings? <laughs> Probably not. Anyone? No. Brad, signet? No. Not using the signet ring. And, and the, the idea behind the signet ring, you've, I'm sure you've seen images like this before, is that it's a ring that bears a mark, that bears a seal, that's a seal of identity, that's like a signature. And you press it into the wax, and that signature then appears in the wax. We used to seal envelopes, as is the case here. But really what it was, that ring and that seal and that mark carried the identity 
the authority of the king, of the ruler of whoever's image it represented. So the king would use that almost like a signature and a seal of his authority and identity. But the powerful thing is that that what a king could do is then take that ring and give it to someone else. Give it to someone else or make a copy of that ring and give it to someone else for them to wear on their finger. And when they put that ring on, they would carry the exact same identity and authority of the king in whose name it bore. They say, this is now the authority I walk in. And this is what Haggai is speaking to Zerubbabel through the voice of God. He says, because you have, if we think about the story throughout Haggai, he's taken the presence of God from, from something that is distant to something that is among them. And he says, now you are like the signet ring of the Lord God Almighty. You carry his identity. You carry his purpose. You carry his authority because his presence is among us, because his presence is within you. Now, when we think about that house, God's house alive in you, this is a picture that we need to take hold of with both hands and say, when God's presence is alive in me, his ring is on my finger. I carry his presence. And here's the coolest thing about this whole picture. So we think, go go back to the Old Testament. God's house is an external place, sometimes called the Holy of Holies, and only the holy could go into God's presence. Only if you'd lined up all the requirements that was necessary could you go into that temple, into that house. Jesus put all that away. He said, now you are made holy through me, no requirement of your own, to to be my house, to contain my presence. So here's the powerful thing, and this is the image of the ring, that if someone wants to experience the fullness of the presence of God, they don't come to a building, they come and hang out with you, right? God's presence alive in each one of us. That for someone to experience the grace and love of our Savior, they don't need to go to a temple or a mountain or some other random place. They just need to come hang out with us. Because we are God's house. So we've got to keep building it, brick after brick, to hold more of his presence. We've got to keep saying, God, what needs to shift in my life? so that more and more I could become a house for your presence. So when people spend time with me, they're actually coming to a temple. They're actually coming to the Holy of Holies. Isn't it amazing what Christ has done in us? That he's handed the, key, he's handed the keys of everything over to us. So his whole, his whole plan for the world, the whole hope of the world, he's given to us and says, you, you guys sort it out. Saved by grace, redeemed by Christ, but you've got to build it. I'm going to invite the, the team to come and join us. And we're going to wrap up here, but, but I want to encourage you. How is God's presence being built in your life? Is today a day where you have to say, now is the time. God, I want to invite you into my life. I want my life to be your house. I want to live out of who you are in me. I want to live focused on the reality that you are alive in me. Maybe it's about inviting him back to that space. Maybe it's about saying, all right, it's time for me to take another step. Maybe I've laid the foundation of God's house, but now I need to build it. I need to build God's presence into who I am. 
And the picture that, that I'm just so excited about, and even, even when I think of it, you know, it's a, I, and I hadn't thought of this as I was preparing this message, but the unique season we find ourselves in with, with actually building a building, and, and, and we've got to keep giving glory to God for the, the blessing that we have in this facility here as well. But you know what? None of that matters if we, as the people, the actual church, don't build his house in each one of us. Get alongside one another and say, we are building his house. We are building his house. Every time we pray for one another, every time we speak scripture over one another, every time we lift his name high, we are building his house. Can we stand together?